Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, we're going to talk about something we've never really talked about uh, in this podcast in, uh, in details, which is influencer marketing. We're going to try to define what it truly is, why it matters, and how to start doing that yourself. Uh, my guest today is on a crusade to, read, to get rid of the world of boring marketing, just like me, which is pretty cool. He's a managing director of the influencer marketing company called August United, uh, which is there to help digital natives with deep expertise in connecting brands with the people they serve. Um, his clients include the Kroger Company, Children International, um, PetSmart, Persil ProClean, and all of those exciting brands. Um, Tyler, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Louis, excited to be here. When I first learned about your uh, your podcast, I knew we were going to be friends. <laughs> I, uh, like, like you mentioned, the rid the world of boring marketing. Yeah, we're, we're definitely cut from the same cloth, so happy to be here today. So let's get started with a question that has been burning me. I and mean, it's not even a question, it's more a leading question, more a statement, in fact. I have a confidence to make in front of you, right? And a confidence to make to those people listening to us right now. I fucking hate the term influencer marketing <laughs> to the point where I can't, I can't even speak about it too much. But that's because I'm super contrarian in nature. And every time someone talks about something for, you know, for too much and too many people use the same term, I kind of say that I'm sick of it. Although I'm not stupid, I do understand what it truly means. And this is kind of what I want to get into in this episode is like what it actually means behind the term that is kind of a buzzword at the minute. How can you really truly reach that to make your marketing better? So explain to me like I'm five, what does it mean influencer marketing? Yeah, Louis, I, I uh, don't disagree with you at all that the term bugs me too. And that's difficult when I run a, an influencer marketing uh, agency, it, the term and the way it's said today really rose in prominence in the past couple of years. Uh, it, it wasn't put together in that way, even though the reality of, of influential people or people and um, talking about products uh, in this sort of way have been happening since the advent of marketing. Right. I mean, ever since marketing started, there have been individuals who had larger than average reach, reach or prominence who have been talking about a product or a service. Now, the way we see things happening today is different. It's different than we saw in the past 100, you know, 200 years. And we see a lot of that has happened because of the rise of of, of social and social media. We saw really some of the democratization of quote unquote celebrity, <laughs> uh, you know, people have created pockets of audience. The megaphones have gotten bigger and the world has gotten flatter and has become flatter. And, and because of that, you, you see this, you know, term that has risen in prominence better for worse. And like you, I feel like every day I see some new article around, you know, the, why influencer marketing is the best thing ever or the death of influencer marketing or top 10 tips or, you know, what, whatever. And it drives you bonkers. And, you know, with, with that though, uh, when I first got into the space, I feel like we would, we, we talked about things differently. People would say, uh, blogger, blogger relations, blogger outreach. Yeah. You know, in, in, and then you saw this rise of the term influencer marketing and 
it, to me, it bugs me like the word guru. You know, the word guru, your social media guru that just drives you insane. It's kind of the same. It's kind of the same way. What we see in the folks that we work with, uh, we refer to them as creators, as people. Maybe their name. Maybe we call them by their name, right? That's Ooh, a funny concept. That is oh weird. my gosh. But, uh, you, you know, we like working with people who understand uh, what they bring to the table and it, uh, they don't call themselves influencers. I mean, the they good call ones themselves don't. their name. The good ones don't. Yeah. That, um, but that, exactly that, right. that goes back to what you said. So I like what you said. And I think we're definitely on the same wavelength, which is also a weird thing that is always bugging me when it comes to describing things that you do, even if you don't necessarily like the term. So it's the same with growth hacking. I can't stand the term because everybody's talking about it. They don't even understand what it means. Uh, but people are searching for this term and therefore you kind yes. of need to be there to answer their question, but then maybe steer away in the right direction, which I think this is kind of what you're doing. You have to mention influencer marketing because that's what people that's... fucking talk about. But <laughs> in your vision, in the way you do things, you don't believe that this is necessarily the way to think about it. So just one thing to clarify though, you said that influencer marketing has always been here uh, since the start of marketing. I would even say beyond that, I would say before <laughs> before that, like 2000 years ago, even before that, yeah, I mean, exactly. people will still talk about each other and say, this guy who built this fucking arrow and bow for me <laughs> to kill this animal is actually pretty good. You need to check out, check it out. And if I'm a chief of a tribe, I'm, I'm summarizing in a very like gruesome, like stupid term, but if I'm a chief, a uh, chief of a tribe with 50 people in this tribe, and I say to someone, Though this guy there making arrows is pretty fucking good. That's still influence. That's influencer marketing 101. That's marketing 101, right? 100%. So it wasn't, it, we didn't need to wait for marketing to start being a, a proper discipline to actually have that happen. Cause that's what people do between each other. Right? Exactly. You got it. Right. So that I wanted to, to, to talk about this cause that's what I always try to do in this podcast is like going back to the root of what marketing truly is. And so. Avoiding the buzzwords or at least explaining it. So now we're going to talk about influencer marketing as a term, but I think people will understand that we don't mean in this buzzy, shitty way, but in the true spirit of marketing, which is building relationships with others, making sure that they talk to each other, making sure that they spread the world, the world and all of that. Exactly. So before I, we go into, sorry to cut you again, but before we yeah. go into the step-by-step -step that I want to go into, which is step-by-step -step to try to build a kind of an influencer marketing campaign or try to get some traction there, let me ask you one question. Uh, beside what we mentioned there, can you kind of come up with probably the biggest misconception when it comes to influencer marketing, in your opinion? Yeah. You know, as we talk about the tactic, I think it's really risen out of the fact that that a lot of marketers do a really bad job, right? Uh, people, the reason why this tactic has become interesting is because so many people have rejected traditional advertising. They're saying no. They're installing ad blockers. They're 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 not watching traditional TV. They're skipping commercials, and they're wanting to spend time viewing content from people that they don't feel <laughs> are going to sell to them. And that right there is part of the challenge is that just as there's good influencer partnerships, there are also really, really terrible influencer partnerships. And in many ways, if done wrong, it can be and be perceived as being even, even worse than if you're just doing a traditional ad. Um, because it can look like, you know, that, that movie from Jim Carrey, the, uh, the Truman show. I don't know if you remember that film yes. where the wife held up the, the, 
you know, the product and said, Hey, look at this, buy this. And he looks over at her like, what are you doing? And for me, I sometimes see certain influencer partnerships look like that and they're very cringy and they're very awkward and they're the complete opposite of the way that they should be. And so, you know, with that, that's kind of the, the basis of where we start to where we say, Hey, what sorts of things are you as an organization trying to do? Why does it make sense that you go into leveraging this tactic? How do you integrate it with uh, the rest of your marketing tactics? So, uh, you know, I wanted to start there of saying, you know, it's, it's not a silver bullet. We find that it's a very quality tactic when used in conjunction with, uh, you know, with a, with a holistic campaign. Right. So before we jump into this step-by-step, which I feel you almost started with step one there, but taking a step back, you said there's like bad influencers and good influencers, at least uh, a way to summarize it this way. So you, you started to talk about those bad type of influencer relationship where this influencer will actually take a product and make it so obvious that it's sponsored, that it's just cringe. Um, is there any other way you would describe like a, a bad influencer relation, like a bad way to go about it? Yeah. Uh, so there, there are, there are a couple of things and um, much like traditional PR where you would see kind of old school PR, people would put out a pitch and just send it out indiscriminately to a thousand journalists and hope that it gets picked up. We see that same tactic happening in the world of influencer marketing today. What you see is this rise of, <laughs> you know, entrepreneurs who have created SaaS platforms to help automate, um, influencer marketing. And really what it does is it just sprays and prays, throws spaghetti against the wall. And we see the output being very low quality partnerships, low quality content. And in many ways, I see it as being a more negative for the brand. And so that's that kind of thing where you are just spraying out your pitch to a thousand people who you haven't vetted, you haven't looked at, you haven't, you know, honed in on. That's not a good look. And rather what, and, and, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but some of the things that, that we look for, uh, we put together what we call an influencer litmus test or a, a creator litmus test. And that has a series of uh, parameters that we feel are important for that brand. And it's a little bit unique for each brand, depending upon what the goals of the campaign are, who the brand is, what are the types of things they care about, who their customers are, what their customers look like. And so one of the misconceptions out the gate is everyone thinks, oh, if they have a lot of followers, that's an influencer. Absolutely not. You almost couldn't be further from the truth. Follower count does not equal influence, not by a long shot. Someone could have 10 million followers and I don't give a rip about what they say. I'm not going to do anything just because they say it. And there are a lot of a lot of other things that go into it for us to identify for this brand does it make sense for us to partner with them? And I can go into those things if it makes sense. Absolutely. I can't wait to get into that now. You've teased us enough. So let's, let's take an example of, I'm a, I'm a, I'm represent a company. I work in marketing. Um, what are the typical, let's say like the, the type of companies you're the most uh, familiar with, like type of industries, just briefly. Yeah. Uh, CPG. So consumer package, good right. multi-location retail, anything in there. So let's speak, let's speak multi-location retail. So let's say we have how many stores? 50? Sure. All right. 50 stores and we are a clothing brand. Yeah. Is that something you're familiar with as well? You've worked with them in the past? That'll, that'll work. All right. So let's say we sell shorts because it's the summer and we specialize in shorts. That's only what we said. Um, and 
what is usually the core objective when people come to you as a, like, what is the trigger? They want to increase sales. They want to launch a new product. What is usually the new, the trigger you see? Exactly. In, in a lot of ways, they're entering a new market, either ge- by geography uh, or by product type. They're increasing sales because of uh, seasonality. So there are other elements that are going on depending upon the season. Like you're, like you said, launching a new product or a new product line, trying to enter a new audience that they haven't uh, connected with before. Those are a lot of the core objectives. Okay. So let's say we have shorts that the new, a new line of shorts that are actually super useful because they have pockets specifically for your smartphone and all the things like this. So it's for like those type of people who, who, who like to store everything in their shorts and, and wear <laughs> shorts even in the winter. So let's say this is, we come to you and we want to launch this new product line, right? So that's kind of who we are, what we're trying to do. What is step one? You take it on board. What do you typically do? What's the very step, the very first step? Yeah. So we start by understanding their customer, their current customer, and see if that differs from their desired customer, right? And so to your point, if they are, if they've been selling these kinds of shorts previously, um, then we, that, that may be a good thing. If it's a brand new product, we're trying to understand who that market is, who it makes sense for, because that's where we start first. We don't go right uh, you know, to finding influencers that could make sense before understanding the customer. And um, we also understand from a multi-location retail standpoint, where are the stores based? Is it e-com? So we can buy anywhere, you know, in the U.S. or anywhere around the world, or are they physical, you know, in-person brick and mortar? And we do a lot of work with brick and mortar. And so, for example, if they were only based in Southern California, we're not going to identify influencers who have large audiences all around the world. Uh, in many ways, you're going to spend more money and you're going to have a lot of spill. And so we'll start defining geographically, if that makes sense, uh, wh- where where folks are going to fit. If it is, like I mentioned, e-com to where we can sell anywhere, we'll take a look at folks that uh, are going to align with that the core demo for that brand. So who do these shorts make sense for? What are the age groups? What are the gender breakdowns? Are there body type things that that make sense for for that brand? Um and then we'll go out and identify typically a large group. Um, so it's almost a funnel where we'll identify a larger group of influencers than we know we'll end up working with. And Let me cut you right there because yeah. we need to drill into more details. So you say under the, under the same customer, let's say that this brand sells only in the U.S., but we uh, to make it simple, let's say we sell in the U.S. as an e-commerce and we have a few stores around, but let's say we want to be in the US, selling the US with this new this new product line, right? So you talk about understanding customer, which is funny because I mean it's not really funny. It's more interesting is that every single time we go through this type of exercise with guests, it's usually step one, always. And that goes back to the fact that I pick the right guest, or at least they force themselves to be to talk about the same thing. But because that's the basis of marketing. Like if you don't understand people, then you're fucked. So um yeah. how do you do that though? Right? How do you typically go about understanding customers? Their customers. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my agency is focused exclusively on the, on the influencer marketing. And so traditionally we're either working with a partner, uh, like a consumer experience agency or, or a, a research group, or we're partnering with the brand who has already done, uh, work like that. And so they are providing us with personas. They're providing us with IR, you know, the, the data that they have from other sources. Um, and we also look at competitive, you know, competitive research. So there are folks uh, that we've worked with that, you know, we gain insight uh, from as well to, you know, to connect in the space. 
And so, it, it, you know, we traditionally aren't performing the first uh, the, the first uh, party research. It's usually coming or primary research. It's usually coming from partners. Makes so sense. we'll take that data, break it down. And then that's what helps create that influ influencer litmus test I was talking about before. Right. So, so let's go into that. So let's yeah. say you have I gave you the basic data. I say those are the key personas. Those are the people who tend to buy from us. Our new product is not that different from previous ones. So we can safely say our ideal customers right now are going to be the same. They spend X. They are this age group. They live there. The basic demographic kind of uh, information. So I give you yeah. that. And then this is where the magic happens in a sense. So you started to talk about identifying this large pool of, of influencers. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So that, that litmus test I was talking about is, is uh, somewhat of a filter that we build that says, okay, of, of the influencer pool that exists out there or the creator pool that exists out there, we need to pass people through this filter. And so there are certain key things we look at from both, a, uh, you know, from a subjective side and from a, you know, and, and, and to say, okay, subjectively, what sorts of things do we care about? Um, and from an objective side. And so we'll look at things like, you know, where we start in, in many ways um, geography. So where are these people based and not just where are they based, but where are their where's their audience based? And that's an important distinction just because they're based in New York City or in San Francisco doesn't mean that their audience is. Uh, and so if it is a very geo focused brand, then that's a key thing for us to look at is 60 percent of their audience based in the United States. Okay. And if, if it is that or more, that's going to fit within our filter. Let's look at their, at their reach. I mean, even though we talked about total following isn't the most important thing, it is important. We want to take a look at that. So we'll, we'll identify what their reach is or what their total audience is looking at their engagement and understanding with their engagement, um, how much of it is quality you know, quality engagement versus fake engagement. And, um, you know, are they, are they having things that are clearly from bot accounts? Um, same thing with followers. So we, we have a tool that we leverage for fake followers to identify how many of their followers are, are, are real or, or, or not. So let's get into um, detail. I, I'm going to keep cutting yeah. you because I no, don't want right. to, I don't want to forget what you're mentioning. So you say that in a very casual manner, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people will have no fucking clue where to start, even when you mentioned that. So how do you go about even starting with a list of potential so-called influencers, like where do you get that? Is it proprietary kind of database you build yourself? Is it just Twitter or LinkedIn? How do you typically start? Yeah. So there's a, there, at this point here in 2018, there are a lot of different ways. Um, for us, we've been in the space a long time, so we have a lot of relationships and a, and a, you know, a, a database of folks that we work with. But there are numerous tools that exist out there um, that help you. And a lot of them have become very, very robust. Um, one of our core partners is a group called Grin. Uh, they're out of Sacramento, California. They're an outstanding group of people. Um, there are, from a SaaS perspective for influencer searching, there are a number of tools and they're always, they're always changing. Um, they're always evolving. New ones are coming out all the time. Um, so, but that's from a paid perspective, you know, and so if you're not doing this all the time, you're probably not leveraging a tool like that. Um, you can do things as simple as going on something like Instagram, <laughs> identifying an influencer who you like, who makes sense, looking at associated accounts, who do they do follow, who follows them. So the, when you're on Instagram, uh, and up next to the area where you follow somebody, there's a button, the arrow that you can push 
and the arrow pops down and it'll say, um, I forget the exact terminology, but it'll indicate that these are associated accounts to that, to that account. And that's a, you know, from a, from a fairly simple standpoint, that's a pretty solid way. I'm just pulling it back up right now to take a look at it, but that's a pretty solid way to look at uh, accounts that are similar to that Instagrammer that you thought was really good. So and that you, can you help could, you start a base. You could do the same on Twitter. So when you, you follow, same on Twitter. follow yep. someone on Twitter, I think it starts to start to suggest people who are similar. Uh, but so it sounds like, I think it, it goes back to like marketing one-on-one. It goes back to the craft of doing the work. You, there's no shortcut and silver bullet, as you mentioned at the start. You need to do, you need to do the work. I mean, you have now kind of a relations with a lot of influencers and people who can help you. Um, so it's getting easier, but when you start out, you have to make uh, to do the work. So it means potentially searching for hours on Twitter, Instagram, making a list on Excel, just identifying one by one, those people and just keeping it at it. You can also have pay like a virtual assistant or uh, someone in your team or an intern. If you have, if you have the money to do that, all you have to do it yourself, right? Are we talking about this particular way of doing it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I would say that, uh, a lot of folks don't record, don't realize the amount of time th- that does go into it from the beginning, uh, which is why you see people use the tactic like we talked about earlier. You know, they send an email out to a thousand inf- quote unquote influencers and see what sticks. And uh, you'll find that the people who are very high quality uh, are not going to respond to those kinds of emails. <laughs> they yeah. get uh, I mean, we're, we're friends with a lot of these creators and we know these people get hundreds of emails a day from brands who are just saying, Hey, I'm going to send you my product in exchange for a post. That kind of stuff doesn't work anymore. Okay. You have to build a relationship. You have to be a real person. You have to be a human being. These are people. They're not ad units. Influencers are not ad units. Don't think about them like that. Creators are not ad units. They're people. They're really good people who create really great content. And if you're not treating them like a, a partner, you're not going to do any, any quality work in that space. I already visualized what you just said as a quote that we're going to share everywhere. Uh, <laughs> I think it's going to be quite controversial. Um, I like it, but that, that makes sense. Exactly. Which is exactly the spirit of this podcast. That's it. Like people are people and it's just about people at the end of the day. It's always about people. Um, so let's say we have a rough start. We, we are starting to have a list that is kind of basic let's say 100, 200 people who, who we feel fit kind of the, our brand ethos and, and what we believe in and what we want to uh, do and have an audience that we can potentially influence. But um, how do you find out where the audience lives? For As an example, I'm not an influencer, <clears throat> but I'm based in Dublin, yet the vast majority of people listening to this podcast are in the US, right? So it's a typical example. I, don't ha- I do have people in Dublin listening, but if you compare, there's just no comparison. So... How do you find that out, actually? Yeah, Louis. First off, you are an influencer. People listen <laughs> ah, to you. Stop it! And they, ah, <laughs> don't say and that. And they, they they change their their behaviors based upon that. And that's that's part of the the struggle. There is at the core, everyone is an influencer. It just depends on at what scale, right? right. But but to answer answer your question, um, it, it 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 depends a bit. And and I know that's a hard hard answer, but. We rely on tools to be able to do that. Otherwise, it's just very, it's very manual because you would have to request that data. It's not public, right? So you would have to request that data from each individual influencer from their insights, right? And so that's not practical. And so we do leverage tools through some of our tool partners um, that can help us look at where the audience are based. Now, 
Um, there are certain platforms that are more liberal with their API data to be able to share that and others aren't. Um, with Instagram, we get a pretty good set of data, even still with some of the API changes. Uh, with Twitter, we get a very good uh, set of data. With YouTube, you can get some good data as well uh, to identify their, where their audience is. Um, so what tools so, are available? And I, I don't like to talk about tools that much, but it feels like you can't really get a feel from like just looking at it manually, right? It's, yeah, it's, it's tough, right? So I don't like you, to talk about tools in detail because I want this episode to be still valuable in five years. Yeah. Right. But still, I think we have to go there uh, somehow. What type of tools do you recommend for people to start uh, that you think are quite robust and, and reliable right now in 2018? Yeah. So we we change. Uh, I wouldn't say often, but to your point there, even since we've been in the space, the tools evolve and uh that the concept stays the same, the concept stays the same, that we want to find out where their followers live. And currently we use, a, we work with a partner called Luminu. They're one of our favorite partners. They do a really wonderful job. Um, and this is part of the evolution of influencer marketing. So their tool helps us uh, identify followers, so fake followers, but also helps us identify where people live, the gender breakdown um, of, of the following as well, which is important. So a couple other demo uh, pieces of demo info. Uh, one thing their tool also allows us to do, and this is something that's changed in the world of influencer marketing over the past few years. People got into the space solely because of the, uh, the quality of the organic reach of that, that influencer. Well, uh, with the adjustments to algorithms, um, organic reach is good, but it's not going to get you everywhere. And when you've put in all the work to create the campaign, create the strategy, identify the right influencers, get them on board, get them talking about you, you don't simply want to rely on the organic reach that occurs. And so some things we've been doing with that partner is uh, paid social augmentation out to key audiences. Um, audiences that are like-minded, audiences that are look-alike, uh, audiences that uh, you know that fit the certain demos or or targeting that we feel is important. So I know that goes a little bit deeper than what you asked, but but a a bit of additional spend on top of whatever our partnership was can get us uh, quite a bit of additional reach and quality reach. So before we talk about distribution and reach, uh, and I, I do want to get into more details on that because that's an interesting idea. How do you filter once, let's say, let's consider that you know roughly that those type of influencers fit, uh, have their users, like the people following them, uh, fit kind of the demographics that we have as a brand selling shorts, like in there in the US, uh, the vast majority, uh, and, and the target is the same age group around. So how, like what are kind of the information, the filters that you use to make sure that you select only the, like the sweet spot of the sweet spot? Yeah. So what is their engagement rate? What does that look like? We're, we're really not working with anyone with lower than a two and two and a half percent engagement rate at the low end. Um, so if their engagement rate is higher, that's going to be a big deal. Uh, how often are they working with other brands? You know, what is their split between sponsored posts and, and organic posts? Uh, and when they do work with other brands, what does it look like? How is it received by their audience? How do they treat the brand? Um, is it just you know, is it just simple? Is it boring? Is it, <laughs> is it you know, not good? Uh, or is it received well? Do they, do they do a good job there? And so those are a couple of the things. Are they, what is their content quality? Is it something that we feel that we as a brand could repurpose on our own social channels? Could we leverage it in other 
anger areas outside of social? Um, do we see that there's opportunity to, to be a partner with them for uh, in the long term, not just for a single campaign? These all of these things are things that help us to look at whether we should bring them down to our core group of, of folks that we really want on board for the campaign. And you mentioned engagement rate. Uh, can you just define it for people who haven't heard the term yet? Yeah. So based upon their total follower size, um, what is the, the percentage of their audience who engages? Uh, so likes and, and comments is what we're really looking at here. Um, what, what is the percentage of their audience that engages with any sort of regularity? So we look at an average over a period of time that changes a bit, but usually looking at about a three month average and uh, identifying what what that percentage of engagement is. So if I have 10,000 followers on Twitter and I post a tweet and I get two likes, then you're gonna not going to contact me. But if I get I'm doing the math here. Um, <laughs> 200 likes, 200 likes. And then that's what that's 2%. Yep. Should be. Yes. I said 10,000. So that's 2%. So 200 likes. That's, that's a lot of fucking likes. It is. Twitter's hard. Twitter doesn't have quality engagement in most cases. Yeah. Um, and because of that, uh, no offense to my friends at Twitter, cause I love the platform. We don't do a lot of partnerships on Twitter. Um, if it, if for some brands, it makes sense, B2B brands, things on with sports, things with politics, if you want to go that route, um, that makes a lot of sense. I would say most of our partnerships today take place on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Vast majority on Instagram and Facebook. So to keep, to keep things to a point where in five years, people won't uh, wonder what Instagram is or Facebook is because they might, they might be dead in five years. Who knows? But like the core rule that you have really is making sure that you look at platforms that people are currently on and people are currently active on. That's what it yes. is, isn't it? Uh, exactly. So I do feel the same on Twitter right now, but who fucking knows in one year, maybe they're going to change things. So do not, if you're listening to this podcast right now, do not think that <laughs> we're going to tell you that this is where you need to be. Look at the rule behind like what, what Taylor mentioned, which is make sure that you think of the platforms that are working right now, the things, where are people in and are they acting? Are they active in, in this platform? I think that's, that's probably spot the right on. question. Yeah. That's spot on. So 2% minimum. So it means on YouTube, then, um, you, you post, uh, you post a video, you get, you have a, an audience of, uh, 10,000, um, subscribers, and then you have what 200 plus likes on it comments. Yeah. YouTube, YouTube's a bit of a different animal. Uh, it's just, it's not set up the same way, uh, from a social perspective as you, as you see with Facebook and Instagram. And so view counts really rule there, uh, versus comments and, and, and likes or thumbs up. Uh, we take those into account and those are important that it can show you the health of an audience and the engagement level of an audience, but people just don't comment or like on YouTube as much as they do on the other platforms. Right. And so, uh, you know, for us, it really is looking at, at, at view counts and, and, uh, what kind of views that, 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 that creator is getting with regularity. Okay. So let's say we've, we've run through the filtering machine, right? Um, yep. when do you say, okay, we have a, the right amount of people to get in touch? Are we talking about 20 people, 50, how many? It's so that, that, that my friend is a tough question. Uh, we have run campaigns with two people that reached 15 million people throughout the Super Bowl, right? And because these people were huge and they did some incredible video, we've re run campaigns with, with a hundred plus people, 
you know, with 500 people. So it, it, it's, it, there's not an easy answer to that. It really goes down to what are the needs of the campaign? Are you going to run a campaign where you activate two large macro style influencers and support so that are national reach? And we might do that to where it's like, hey, we're, we're launching a certain line of these shorts that have the autograph of a of an interesting person on the back of them. Uh, but then we're going to leverage uh, smaller local micro influencers who live within a 10 mile radius of our shops. And we're going to activate 30 of those people around the country in support of this full summer campaign for our shorts. So it, there, there's not an hard and fast rule. You have to look at what are what are the goals? What are we trying to drive? What are our KPIs on the back end? Where do our people exist? What do they care about? What is our budget? <laughs> you know, and what all of that helps us design what will be the most impact or what will give us the most impact for this campaign. Right. Sometimes it's five, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's a hundred. So let's say we've selected 100 people, uh, more on the micro influencer. I can't believe I just said that, but anyway, <laughs> more on the micro influencer side. So to elements term, more on the fact that those people are just maybe like me, don't have a lot of people giving a shit about them, but at least the ones that give a shit actually engage in a sense. So they, they send me email, they will listen to the podcast, um, rather than those, uh, national style influencers. So I don't know, I'm going to take a sh stupid example because it may be too big, but, uh, like Obama, that was the worst fucking, uh, idea I could find. So Obama, like that, that's a super fucking influencer. Like he, he tweets about you and you're golden for the next while, at least for people who believe in uh, the same thing, um, that he supports. So that's what I meant by micro influencer. So let's say we select 100 of those people, smaller type. Um, how the, how do you get in touch with them and what do you offer? Like, how do you start building this relationship? Yeah. So it, it, it depends on the type of influencer. Uh, if it's a creator that is smaller, um, you know, they, they're, they're local, you're going to send them an email or you're going to reach out to them via their platform of choice with the direct message. Um, and I do it personally. Don't, you know, don't, don't use a platform to, to spray and pray, you know, get out there. Uh, talk to them in a way that is going to stand out, understanding that they are probably getting a lot of outreach from other brands or other groups. Um, if you have any sort of connection in common that you can that you can make a referral to, that's going to work out even better. You also, my advice is don't give too too much detail in your first outreach to them, um, because if you believe in what you're doing. Uh, you're going to want to talk to them. And a lot of times we'll talk to people over the phone or over a, a Skype call um, because we want that personal, we, that personal relationship, even if it is a smaller influencer. When, when it's a large uh, creator, in most cases, you're not going to reach them directly. They're working with a manager uh, or, or some sort of intermediary, and you're, you're usually getting to that person first. Um, and so it's important to be able to understand that, to be able to present what your idea is in a way that, uh, attracts attention. Um, and then eventually you'll get to talk to that person as well. And that's really your large celebrity style type folks or, and not, I guess, uh, you know, I'd back up on that. It's not always, we're seeing more and more creators be represented by talent management firms. Um, and that becomes a bit of a challenge. Uh, so you need to be able to to talk to that talent manager in a in a good way and pre present a compelling case. Yes, because they they act as a gatekeeper, right? And that's the, exactly the reason why they want them. Is like I'm so sick of getting hundred emails every day. Filter them out for me. Exactly, you got it. So 
how do you stand out then? Like, I know it's natural for you because I think we're on the same wavelength and it's pretty easy for you to, to build a relationship, start small, but for someone who has, hasn't done that and is wondering how the fuck do I, where the fuck do I start? Um, how do you send this first email, this first DM? What do you typically look at? Do you look at what they care about? Do you look at the latest Instagram post and try to make a connection there? You mentioned looking at potential, someone who might know this person as well, mm -hmm. which I think is pretty much uh, spot on as well as a way to do that. So how do you typically like to start this relationship? Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to be interesting. Um, so I would say like starting a relationship with almost anyone, you know, with a person, don't be boring, do something that, that stands out, uh, do something that's kind of funny. Maybe it gets them to chuckle a little bit. Um, but you have to be sensitive to who they are, uh, what they care about. Uh, what you'll find is that like anything, there's a value exchange, um, right now I'm on the phone with you or, you know, you and I are on this podcast because there's a value exchange. I like talking to you. You like talking to me. There's, you know, I can share some things that are important to me and, and, and you get to produce a podcast that your listeners enjoy. Um, the same thing with influencers, what sort of value am I bringing to them? And, and it's not always just monetary. I mean, money is not going to do it. Um, I mean, money is a good thing, but are you bringing some sort of interesting, opportunity approach, you know, is there something you've gleaned from who they are that, uh, you feel will, will get them excited. Um, and so again, like I mentioned, I try not to provide too much detail uh, in that first email, not, not, I mean, not to be shady, you know, I, I just want to have enough interest peaked to be able to have a good conversation. Um, so that we can adequately talk about it, talk about what's exciting, talk about where we're going and, and why we think they would be uh, a good partner for it. So I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to give, uh, if you're listening to this podcast right now, I'm going to give you an example of probably the, my proudest moment when it comes to reaching out to so-called influencers, um, on this podcast. So I remember vividly, it was like more than a year ago at this stage. And I had the list of people I wanted to interview on this podcast. No credibility. The podcast wasn't where it is now, even though it's not fucking huge, but it, it has a bit more credibility now. And I, I, I wondered, you know, I, I was looking at my bookshelves with all of those books from Seth Godin, which was the first guy I uh, actually learned marketing about. And it, it doesn't say plenty of practical things, but anyway, that's not the subject. I admire the guy and I wanted to reach out to him. I sent him a two line email. So I only sent, yes. um, yes. uh, Seth, thanks to you, marketing is getting a better name. Would you like to be on my podcast about, uh, you know, fighting bad marketing or something on those lines? That's it. Two liner, right? I really wasn't expecting an answer seriously because I've reached out to Gary Vaynerchuk because I really want him on the podcast to rip him to pieces as much as I could, but I wasn't expecting it. And the day after he came back to me and said, yeah, I'm in. That's it. Two fucking lines, right? But that's a best I practice example. But I, I sent so it. many other emails that wasn't replied, right? But yeah. I think what worked there was one, he's super busy. So I just sent him a two-liner. Two, I think I deeply connected with what he cares as well. Like the fact that this podcast is really against the, the, the normal way of talking about marketing and the fact that I think he's truly in line with that. So like he really believes the same thing that worked. So that's an example of can you share an example of like a way that could inspire people to, to start a conversation? What worked in the past, a particular example you have in mind that, that people could get inspired by? Yeah. 
No, I, I think your example is, is exactly the kind of thing, right? So the, the things that we do, like I said, we keep it very simple. So for example, we work with a brand uh, in Southern California that, uh, that sells grocery. And, um, at the onset that might not seem incredibly exciting, but when you start bringing, you know, really looking at a grocery store, there are a lot of interesting things there. And so one of our core messages was the fact that the produce is fresh, uh, and that is local. And so we reached out to a group of creators in that area to join us, uh, for a tour of an avocado grove, right? So taking them to the farmer to take a look at how they grow, where they come from, how they're used, these sorts of things. And, and so the outreach was quite simple on that, you know, a simple outreach of, you know, we'd like to, you know, to, you know basically, you know, I think that I, this was a couple of years ago now, but I want to say that the, the subject line was just, you know, how much do you love avocados? You know, and, and you know, we know that there's some zeitgeist, some excitement around that. And, uh, you know, and we, we explained very, very simply the fact that, you know, we love who they are and the value that they bring to the Southern California community and that we wanted them to be one of our, you know, our selected guests uh, for this day up at the Grove. And um, so, you know, looking at that, like I, we knew that each one of these creators had a passion for food and a passion for freshness and they were Southern California based. You know, we knew these things going into it. And so we, we assumed uh, based upon that research that they would be interested in what we've got going on. And, and that's just one example, but there are a million like that, like your example with Seth. Seth is a phenomenal individual, um, but very, he's, you know, he's a busy, like you mentioned, a busy guy. And so you spoke to the things that were important to him and hit him in a way that, uh, uh, that worked. That was good. So I think a lesson I can extract from what you're saying is the idea, the angle, the, the core, of what you're trying to offer is more important than, than the way you reach out almost, because this is the core yeah, of the message, right? So this visit to the avocado grove, which I think if I remember well, avocados are actually quite difficult to grow. Uh, if I remember well, I'm not an expert. You seem to be, um, <laughs> I'll get you on the podcast about avocados promise. Um, there we go. um, but I think using the law of reciprocity, which is the basis of building a relationship with people you give before receiving, you don't expect anything in return. I mean, you kind of do in this scenario, but you also really are willing to give something before expecting anything. So in this instance, I was giving an hour airtime to set God in. He doesn't necessarily need it, but he also loves to talk about marketing and he expected something a bit different, which he had and it made a really good episode. Uh, on your side, you offered a free visit to a place that probably most of them never were and never went. Uh, but that's something that excited them. So it's super, I, I would expect it to be difficult for them to say no to this. Right. And that's kind of, I suppose, where you need to go when you, when you try to build a relationship, you need to be willing to give value first, yeah. find a way to do that before saying, Hey, by the way, can you fucking promote my thing? Yeah. And I, I think that's a bit where the world of influencer marketing is going. At least the people who are doing it right. They understand that it's not just a flash in the pan. Um, a, this just a simple, this for that quid pro quo exchange of, of goods and services, but rather working with creators, creative people who create content that's interesting, that's engaging, uh, and working with them to help them fulfill something that's important to them. Um, one example, uh, there's actually maybe two quick examples. Is that all right? Absolutely. So one is a brand that we don't work with, but I, I like, it's a brand called 
uh, Pura Vida bracelets. They make little bracelets. Um, and they work with a creator who we really like, um, and her name's Haley. And they've done a wonderful job of creating a bracelet in conjunction with her that has her, she has a really distinctive color, uh, you know, color scheme to her feed. And so they create a group of bracelets that are her bracelets and they work with her uh, to promote and talk about those bracelets. So she works with them regularly, but it's natural to who she is. She's a very, uh, she, she's out there. She's traveling a lot. She's doing a lot of things. Um, and so when she talks about the bracelets that are back in stock, it's not odd. It's not uh, in your face. She often will do it on Instagram stories with a swipe up link to be able to go and purchase it. Um, Recently, she spent some time in in Mexico with a lot of other partners that that brand works with, and they had a brand summit down there. Uh, it, it was just this thing that you could tell it's a very long term relationship. They respect her creative ability. They respect her as a creator. And in turn, she has loyalty back to them that clearly is is showcasing results and sales. Um, the other one I want to talk about is you mentioned at the beginning, we, we've had the opportunity to work with PetSmart. So here in the United States, a major pet retailer brand. Uh, and one of the things that they wanted to do was refresh their puppy training video series on YouTube. And um, the content they had up there was poor. Uh, it was outdated. And rather than just doing it the same way of bringing in, you know, one of their people and, and, and doing another potentially poor video, uh, we worked with them to identify an influencer that could make a lot of sense to bring in as a partner. And so we brought this guy in who's a daily vlogger. He understands the space. He can talk on YouTube in a different way than the brand can. Okay. So for example, at the end of each episode, he would peek behind uh, some, some plants and say, subscribe, you know, and, and, and a brand, it would just be weird. It'd be awkward. It'd be cringy. You know, if a brand ever did that, but what we did with him is we created a series of 10 different videos that were showing you how to train your puppy potty training, crate training, treats, you know, washing and bathing, these sorts of things. And we brought in a trainer um, that was fun and unique and engaging as well from the PetSmart side who could represent the brand. But this guy, this YouTuber represented all of us, you know, the, who just got a new dog, a new puppy and wanted to learn. And, and that series was awesome. It, uh, it ended up winning a Shorty Award this year um, for audience honor. Uh, people, people loved it as a YouTube series and a YouTube partnership. And it's one that this, this YouTube creator got a chance, uh, to have a series of content that was engaging, that was fun, that was unique, uh, that was a bit different than what his audience typically sees. And that content then lived on the PetSmart YouTube channel versus on his channel. And so he could go to all of his followers and say, Hey guys, there's a whole series of videos with me that you haven't seen yet. And it was exclusive content. Think about it like a Netflix original, right? You can't see it anywhere else except here. And so this is where I'm seeing a lot of the world of influencer marketing shifting toward not just one-off, simple, you know, spray and pray style campaigns, but longer term partnerships that are more real, you know, that have more of a, of a value exchange for the, uh, for the influencer and for the influencer's audience. Awesome. I think it's a good way to, 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 to finish this step-by-step -step, uh, together and gear towards the last question of the show that I always ask uh, every single guest. So once again, thanks so much for going through this exercise. I know it's not easy to get through in, in detail, but you are awesome. So what do you think our listeners and marketers in general should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? <laughs> it goes back to what we talked about earlier, Louis. Uh, 
you have to understand people. You have to. Brands need to learn and marketers need to learn how to truly talk to people in the way and in the place that they want to be spoken to. And if you can't understand that, because that's going to change. Twitter's not going to be around. Facebook's not going to be around. Instagram might not be around. You know, who knows? But people are. And people have a desire to consume interesting, entertaining, engaging, useful content. Uh, that that's not going to change. And so if we can bring value, if we can bring entertainment, if we can bring utility, if we can deliver upon those things in the right place at the right time with the right message, you're going to be okay as a marketer. Amen. I, I agree with that hundred percent. I repeat that every single fucking episode. So thanks for listening. And we didn't, uh, we actually didn't, uh, connect on that. We didn't agree that that's what you will say. Which no, is, no, we didn't. Right. <laughs> That's what I believe. Exactly. So um, what are the top three resources you would recommend listeners? It could be a book, a podcast, a conference, anything. Yeah. Um, you, you know, from book standpoint, you mentioned Seth Godin. I'm a huge Seth Godin fan. Any of his books uh, I, I, I love and I see a lot of value in. I'm, I'm partial to Purple Cow um, and, and, and love that. Uh, there's a book by a guy named Luke Sullivan called Hey Whipple, Squeeze This. Uh, it, that I love. Um, it talks a lot about uh, conflict and leveraging conflict in marketing. And there's a lot of value there that I, I, I learned from. Uh, and then there's a book called The Storytelling Edge by a friend of mine named Shane Snow. And it, it talks a lot about leveraging the world of story uh, in, in being able to connect with people. Um, he wrote that with a, a guy named Joe uh, Lazowskis as well. Um, Contagious by Jonah Berger. I love that book as well from understanding how people consume content on social. Uh, from, a, from a conference standpoint, um, if you're an inbound marketer, there's a conference called CTA uh, by a group, uh, a company called Unbounce uh, out of Vancouver. Wonderful people. One of the best conferences I've ever been to. Uh, they just put on a good show and bring in really good content. Uh, in the United States, there's a conference series called Digital Summit that do a good job and they do a really good job and, and they have conferences all around uh, the country. From a podcast standpoint, hey, everyone hates marketers. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great one. I, uh, I also love Marketing Over Coffee. Um, it's a great podcast as well. There, there, there are a lot and I, I, uh, I could probably go on and on about different resources, but um, as a marketer, you just have to be a student. You have to be a constant student and be out there always learning. Uh, I think I forgot to mention at the start that Oli Gardner from Enbounce is the one who recommended uh, me to talk oh, to you. Oh, no way. All right. Good deal. Yeah. yeah Oli, Oli is, uh, is an outstanding individual. Outstanding individual. Yeah. His, his presentation skills, if, if you haven't got the chance to, to watch him live uh, at a conference, uh, try to do it because he, he's putting on a show. He's well rehearsed and it's scaringly rehearsed. I mean, it's insane. He's, he's a fucking, he's, he's doing an amazing job. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tyler, uh, what a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, where can listeners connect with you and learn more from you? You bet. Um, I, I'm on Twitter at, at Tyler Farnsworth. Um, LinkedIn, feel free to connect there as well. Um, from a company standpoint, augustunited.com is, is, is the website. But uh, yeah, I'd be happy to take any, any question for anyone who, who want to reach out. Right. Once again, thank you so much. Louis, thanks a lot, buddy. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, 
I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a as a one to one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks. I would say we I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always uns unsubscribe for sure, if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet, and we always uh, can improve. So you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com. Good or bad, please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.